gorgeous out. Let's pop some docks. This is the Updark Podcast, a blend of upland and waterfowl hunting. Tune in as your hosts, Tyler Meaton, Jeff Ludicky, Matt Jeske, chat about training dogs and share their bird hunting stories, tactics, and strategies. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Up Duck Podcast. My name is Tyler Meaden. I am one of your hosts, and I am joined by the mud motor maestro and rooster assassin, Jeff Ludicky, and the Mississippi River Boat Gambler, Matt Jeske. What's up, fellas? We're doing good, man. Getting everything packed up for uh, the big rifle season opening weekend this weekend here in Wisconsin. So right. it's a big deal. It is. That is. Yeah. I, uh, I don't, I, I've got a Thanksgiving up inside it. I actually missed the, I missed the rifle opener. Oh, you're going to miss it. Okay. Yeah, that's all right. You already, you already got your buck with the bow. So you got that's the true. pressures off of you already, that's right? That's true. Yeah. Yep. I got plenty of venison in the freezer. So, oh, Jeff, what are you drinking tonight, bud? I got the uh, three sheeps. It's called a Rebel Kent. So it's an amber ale. Pretty good. The, what does it say on the side here? A touch of sweet malty and a daily drinker. There you go. Ooh. 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 Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I got my, uh, my last 12 pack of Oktoberfest. I think the season is uh, coming to a, a close rather quickly here. So right. I think that's probably the last 12 pack I'll be able to find. Yeah. That's a. Uh... Yeah, but you read the description. I thought that sounds like something Matt would drink, though. Yeah. You stick with the ciders. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> There's no applesauce or apple juice in this one. No. <laughs> Matt, what do you got tonight? What's on the table? Just water. Just H2O. Okay. Good stuff. Me too. Me too. Excellent. <laughs> um, all right. Let's uh let's stop with the, the small talk here. Let's introduce our guest. You may or may not have heard of him. Uh, his name is Tony Vandemore. So, uh, Tony, welcome to the welcome to the Updog Podcast. Thanks for having me, fellas. Absolutely, absolutely. So, most people are probably going to know who you are. However, if there are people like me who are maybe adult onset waterfowlers who have gotten into it later, or who are starting to learn things. Do you want to give a quick background just about yourself, about um, your business? Uh, Anything you want to share? Sure. So we, uh, uh, I co-own Habitat Flats with uh, a few friends of mine uh, that, that we started in 2007, I believe. And we've got uh, we've got two lodges in Missouri and one in Saskatchewan, Canada. And uh, kind of our specialty has is, is always been ducks and geese, but we do uh, do quite a bit of pheasant hunting as well now. Okay, that I didn't know. Yeah, they're uh, I mean they're they're released That's... birds, but I mean our you know our habitat just isn't what it used to be, and uh, it's hard to justify owning a owning a good good pheasant or you know good upland dog anymore, and not going and and uh, finding some places where they release some birds. I would uh, sincerely agree with that, considering where where I live and Jeff lives close by and where there's just not wild populations of birds um, and try to take advantage and get out as much as possible. So um, before we dive in there, the we where we really wanted to start though, is like when we want to take it back to when did you get started hunting? And we talked a little bit about this before we actually hit record. Um, 
when did you start as a kid? You want to just talk a little bit about your backstory and how you got into, into the outdoors and your hunting background? Sure. So I grew up in uh, uh, Western Illinois, um, outside of the Quad Cities, which is about, well, it's basically the other side of the state from Chicago. So two hours west of Chicago, right between the Illinois and Mississippi rivers. And uh, my grandfather, dad, uncles, they took me to blind first time when I was in diapers. And, you know, we were, I'm not sure how old y'all are, but I'm 46 and just kind of blessed to grow up in a, in a time where there, where there weren't iPads and all that. I think there was a, there was an Atari or something back then with, with uh, RBI baseball. But outside of that, uh, you went outside and, and that's what you did. You stayed, you stayed outside as a kid, whether it was winter or spring or summer or anything. And, and all we did was hunt and fish. I mean, Friday nights played football. Saturdays and Sundays, you duck and goose hunted, and then you went back to school on Monday. And that's that's really all I've ever known. And been very, very blessed that I had uh, had the uh, the family to to teach me to do that, and it still still do it today. Yeah, I think that's um, I think it's cool, right? The you know the the family hunting circle, right? Where you you know you grow up in a hunting family, and then you hopefully pass it on to your kids. I know. Um, you know, Jeff, Matt, and I are all I think in our mid thirties. Is that right, guys? Yep. Yep. We all have young children. I think we have five ages four and under. Um, so we're trying to figure out what that's like balancing hunting and uh you know, raising young kids right now. But we're hoping to we're hoping to do the same thing with our kids though, right? Bring them up and get it get them introduced early and um and uh you know, hopefully we'll go out with them and enjoy that time. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you know, now is, is probably way more, way more important than, than back then. I mean, back then when I was a kid, I mean, there were, there were a lot more, a lot more of my friends hunted than, than probably they do now. I mean, the, everybody says that, you know, hunters are coming out of the woodwork and all this, and that might be the case. It's probably more of a, a loss of habitat hunters getting concentrated, I think as a as a whole, our numbers are declining and getting kids involved is absolutely crucial. It is. And this is I'm I'm going down a rabbit hole here because the you, you I think you're spot on too. It's more important now than ever because kids have so many more choices, right? I mean, we I didn't neither none of us grew up in an age or an era with iPads. I didn't get a cell phone until I was 18. You know, and it was a flip phone at that point in time. Kids nowadays, they have so many choices. You know, if you don't, don't get yeah, them involved sure. early, you know, they can get involved in other things. And then it's it's hard to, you know, swing their interest back to to duck hunting or deer hunting or pheasant hunting or fishing or whatever it is that's, you know, outside. Yeah. And even, even outside of kids, though, on the flip side, we're at a kind of a cool point in time where, you can cut the learning curve down. You know, the, the learning curve, if you get involved in, in waterfowl hunting or say pheasant hunting or deer hunting or whatever, I mean, it's kind of a, a daunting task to just be like, yeah, I've never done this before. I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go duck hunting. Okay. We're going to need a bunch of equipment, a bunch of gear, and you're going to need a bunch of know-how that you don't have. And you're going to struggle until you figure it out. But now we have 
have the internet and and all this stuff, which is, I mean, it's kind of a catch twenty two. But there's there's great tools to learn from now, and and I feel like we're at a a way better point in time now to introduce somebody that's twenty five that's never hunted, as opposed to twenty five years ago. You know what I mean? There's good gear. I mean, they're not going to get cold. They're going to stay dry. Um, there's there's a lot of people that know how to pull a duck call, they know how to scout, they know how to get off birds, they know where the pheasants are, they've got good dogs. It's a good time to take somebody of any age that has never done it before and show them a hell of a good time. I would uh, I would agree with that. I mean, you pretty much described what I lean on Jeff for. <laughs> I'm, I'm the scout, <laughs> I'm the spot guy, <laughs> I'm the duck caller. <laughs> hey, somebody's I got to do it right yeah I've, I've got the dog though as long as my alarm goes off yeah you got the duck dog that's for sure that's right <laughs> yeah jeff, jeff you know he gets to go he gets to go do the, do the work he gets to see however many more ducks get killed every day because of that and that's a an awesome thing i mean it's 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 neat to go out and hunt by yourself i still love to do it occasionally but if i have the choice to go out and kill six ducks myself or take four people out and watch them shoot 24 ducks and I'll take 24 every time, especially when my dog gets to go. Yeah, definitely. And one, one thing I learned this year, Tony, I went out duck hunting a couple of times by myself, which usually I have at least one other person with me is how much you actually miss. <laughs> at least for me, it's when you're the only one shooting, man, you learn real quick how much you actually miss, you know, and when there's a whole big volley going off. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of, kind of humbling. <laughs> it, it can be, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, well, that's cool. So you grew up hunting in the Illinois River Valley, and then now you're out in Missouri. What pushed you out to Missouri, and, and what age did you uh, head out that way? Well, I think I, think I graduated uh, high school in 95, and uh, my grandfather was a member of a couple awesome clubs on the Illinois River and great hunting um just i mean as a kid just an incredible place princeton game and fish club i want to say it was like 3500 acres um timber and moist soil and all that right on the illinois river all continuous you access it with a boat and you went like you did pullovers on the levees and all this i mean just like a i mean a playground on steroids for a kid and uh it was it was incredible and i always wanted to have something like that that i could be a part of and uh it seemed like the older i got the flyways shifting a little bit west and i went to college in in kirkville missouri at well it's truman state now it was northeast missouri state then and uh found some some great public ground state of missouri and hunted it every day of college um like literally about every day and i kind of hope my kids have attendance policies when they go to school but we won't get into that um but no there's there's a ton of birds and i was like man i'm i found home i'm not leaving that was in 90 95 when i came to missouri and i've never left that's awesome. That's 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 awesome. Now, how many how many acres does Habitat Flats have now, and 
where did it start? How did how many acres did you guys have when you kind of first started the dream here? Well, the the original four of us, uh, myself and Ira McCauley, who had Mo Marsh at the time, and Aaron McCauley, his brother, they're uh, vets in St. Louis, and Dan Doherty, um, I've known for forever and hunted on. His family's been right here at where we're at now on the boundary of Swan Lake National Wildlife Refuge for 150 years, and we were good friends, and, you know, we had our spots right here around the refuge that we were hunting, and we were putting time and and money into managing these places. And when there's only four of you or whatever, a couple of buddies here and there, I mean, you can only kill six steps a day. So we were putting time and money into places that we weren't hunting. So we decided to uh, to run a couple groups here and there, kind of subsidized our management costs. And uh, we had a pretty good business plan that we we thought and uh, it really exploded. I mean, it, it surpassed our five-year goals right out of the gate. It kind of took off, and now we've got two lodges here in Missouri. I really don't know what there is for ground. There's, I don't know, four or 5,000 acres probably. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. And you're you're doing most of the management, right? I mean, I, I follow you on Instagram, and some of the some of the videos I like watching the most is you and the tractor, you know, tearing it up in the summertime. I I, I get a kick out of those, that's for sure. Man, that's my I, I shouldn't say it's my favorite time of year, but it's uh it's a it's a hard second. I love I love the management, I love the conservation part of it. Um I think you just you kind of evolve as a hunter, you know what I mean? When I was a kid I just wanted to I wanted to kill everything. I wanted to get a limit, whether I had to jump jump geese over a pond or whatever. I wanted to get a limit. And then I wanted to have, make sure that if I was going to shoot them, they were going to be right. And uh, you just kind of evolve as a hunter. And luckily, I've been blessed to do it long enough where at this point, I like the conservation aspect of it, the management part of it, every bit as much as the hunt. And I love the off season. It takes a a sixty that what's normally a sixty day duck season and turns it into you know a year long pursuit for me. I'm constantly thinking about ducks. I mean, what am I gonna do to to make this spot better? What am I gonna plant here? What am I gonna do here? And then it's you know all the work and the sweat and all that throughout the summer to get it done. It's it's very very satisfying. I think it's amazing. You, you like you found your passion and then you get to you get to do that all year round though too. Right? I mean, um and you know your evolution as a hunter, I think, you know, there's everybody's at a different journey, a different spot in their journey, you know, and um getting to that conservation step and and helping other people. I think that's like the that's like the toward the end of the the hunter's journey. Um I think it's really cool because because of everything that died. Um, you know, that just, uh, it's really cool to see your voice out there, you know, showing people that message. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I hate to say it, but it's, it's extremely cliche to say, you know, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life because no matter what, there's going to be a few days working I don't like, but damn it, man, it's, it, it's pretty close to being true. I love every aspect of what I do from the management side to the hunting side, um, 
I don't necessarily pull the trigger as much as I used to, which that's great. Uh, I've done it plenty of times, but my dog gets to pick up numerous birds every day, and I'd rather rather see him pick up 30 birds that somebody else shot than six that I shot. You know what I mean? I mean, it's to me, at this point, it's all about my dog. The actual hunt is about my dog. And the more they can pick up, the better. 100% agree. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Jeff, you want to ask any more background questions, or can I can I flip it over to dogs? Let's fly. I think that's a great transition, okay. right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm... I'm chomping I'm, at I'm the bit it. i'm chomping <laughs> at the bit so i want to go back so i want to go back though tony to to you growing up like at what point did you get your first dog man i was uh i was old i promise you i was uh i was in high school and um I mean, my uh back then you know my parents worked um they worked weekends they uh they did everything, everything they could to to make sure that me and my sister had every opportunity we could have. And uh, not that I'm not saying we were like, you know, struggling or anything like that. But we just weren't in a position where where we had had dogs. So my uncle and grandfather, um, they had dogs. Um, and I've always been with dogs, grown up hunting with dogs, but I didn't get my first one until I was like, how old would I have been? Probably a freshman in high school when it was a beagle. Uh, Sadie James, she was, she was something else. She collected my first rooster, first quail, rabbit, I mean, you name it, she was something else. But my first lab, I didn't get until I got out of college because I couldn't, I just couldn't do it in college. And that was, but that was, that first lab was your entry point, though, into the dog world, correct? Uh, yeah. I mean, as far as a, a really good dog, yes, absolutely. I mean, yeah. my uncle had some super dogs when I was younger, and uh, I mean, I'd run them, he'd run them. They were, they were great dogs. But my first one, uh, his name was Russ. He was. He was pretty special. Did I read that you got him from a breeder up here in Wisconsin, Tony? Yeah, yeah. Uh, her name was Leanne Nord um, in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. And it's a... That Oconomowoc, that's where we're that's from. where I live. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> Seriously. That's that, I work there. He lives there. That's crazy. Yeah. I'll be damned. What a small world. That's wild. Yeah, and there's a, there's a crazy story. Like, I don't know if I got... She was a super nice lady, so I shouldn't even say this, but I mean, a great lady. But I don't know if I got took on the deal or if she was looking out for me or whatever. But I mean, we we're just emailing, you know, talking on the phone every once in a while, like, this is the kind of dog that I want. Um, I, I hunt pretty much every day. I need some, I need one that, that's going to be a, you know, a hammer that, that can put up with the cold, can do all that. I don't need a house dog. I want one that can roll. And uh, she had him, and uh, and the name was Ben. So I was like, all right, I got Ben. 
And this went on for probably six months because I had her get in through basic obedience for such in the very beginnings of, of handling. I think I got him. I can't remember it right now, but I don't know, 11 months old. Anyway, after like eight months or something like that, I'm like, hey, how's Ben doing? She's like, oh, he's great. You know, ben, Ben's great. Ben's doing good. He's progressing, blah, blah. <laughs> it's like a month and a half out where I'm going to go get this thing and head to North Dakota and go hunting. And she's like, uh, you don't want Ben. And I'm like, what do you mean I don't want Ben? I, this is, Ben's what I, Ben's a dog I bought. I, I mean, I've already got a damn collar with his name on it. Uh, I want Ben. She's like, no, no, I've got this dog. Uh, man, I've got this other one that, that's named Rough and uh, same age. And I think, I think he's going to be a lot better dog for you. He's just, he's got a little, little more fire, this, that, or whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess, it, yeah, rough, rough it is. And, uh, you know, looking back on it, Ben probably went and won a, a, he probably won the SRS or something. Who knows? But I got stuck with rust. And, uh, man, as it turned out, it could not have been better. She she was looking out for me, and, and rough was an absolute animal. It was, it was unbelievable. He was just such a, that's a cool dog. He was 11, I think he was 11 months when I picked him up. My dad, my dad and I went up to a kind of walk to get him. And, uh, yeah, we're there, whatever, maybe an hour. And, uh, he, this dog comes out of the kennel with the rest of them. And he comes right over to me and sits down and I'm petting him. I'm like, all right, well, that's kind of cool. And, uh, load him up the truck we go home, and I've got a big family back in Illinois, small town, 700 people. We're having a barbecue, which means, you know, 40, 50 people. And uh, let's dog out of the truck, and everybody, oh, yeah, here's dogs, blah, blah, he's got a new dog, boss. This is rough. This is Tony's new dog. Oh, my God. Everybody's running over and letting the dog do all this. And he just immediately comes over, sits next to me, and he doesn't leave my side. And it was just like, an immediate bond that was, it's kind of hard to explain. I mean, Ruff and I were, I mean, it was just uh, like best friend from the first time we, we met. And anybody that tells you, you know, well, you don't want to get a started dog because you're not going to have that bond. You want to have him as a puppy and all that. Man, I don't, I don't agree with that at all because, uh, like I said, Ruff was 11, 12 months when I got him and we were, we were best buds from the, from the first minute and then I did all the finish work. I was doing commercial insurance back then at the time. I mean, he'd go to the office with me, sleep under my desk. I mean, I'd have appointments talking to people and he's actually sleeping at my feet and uh, ladies in the office or feeding them biscuits and everything way too often. But anyway, he was just, I was single at the time, so it was easy. I mean, we went everywhere together and did everything together. He was, uh, he was a pretty special dog. That's such a cool story, Tony. And how wild is that that you got him from a breeder in Oconomowoc, which is right where yeah. he lives? That is yeah. un unbelievable. I don't think we could, we're ever going to get over that. What, what was what was the name of? Uh, it was Leanne. What was her last name? Nord. Leanne Nord. N O R D, I believe. At the time, it was uh, Water Strike Retrievers. 
This would have been, geez, when do you think that have been? Uh, probably the early two, very early two thousands. Okay. But she was. Uh, it's time. Uh, I'm trying to think back. I think she was pretty influential in the, like the, gosh, what do they call it, the rescue dog program in Wisconsin. Um, she wasn't. I mean. It, she wasn't selling rescue dogs, but she was like uh, evaluating some of the rescue dogs for the state. I mean, she was a really, really good dog person. Yeah, I don't. I, I, uh, yeah, that was, those was before me. Um, I'm yeah, like looking her up. Yeah. And unfortunately, I, I think uh, her and her husband had some health complications um, shortly after that. Uh, I don't know what what eventually happened, but I know that that uh, they had some some health issues issues after that. But they were they were great people and had some had some incredible dogs. I was very blessed to to get rough. I know that. Yeah, I'm looking at. I, I found their website and I'm looking at some of the pedigrees from the dogs that are on there. And there's there's a lot of uh, field trial pipelines on there. So um, yeah, yeah, she she had great pedigrees and. You know, the research I did, you know, she seemed like a just an incredible dog mind. I mean, she was she was evaluating dogs for the the rescue program Wisconsin, and she could kind of read dogs and, and what they would do and their mentality and all that. And because I want to me a great dog, like a great dog, the best one out there, doesn't have to be the most high powered. It has to be seen and not heard until you need it. It has to listen. It has to have an off switch. It has to have an unbelievable on switch when you're in the field. Um, those are just things that I like. I don't like the dog that sit out on the stand and they whine and they tap dance and they spin circles and they just can't contain themselves. Um, I like the ones that are seen and not heard and then absolute machines when it's time to work. That's good. I've got a I've got a puppy who likes to sit in circles. So um <laughs> has to be expected. <laughs> she drives me a little bit bananas sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it gets, they can come out of that though. Those young ones there, they got a lot of energy. Yes, she does. She does. Um, so tell us a little bit more about Ruff. And I I I read this today, but what how many birds did he pick up in his career? Man, I quit counting. It was like twenty five thousand when I quit counting. Uh, he was, man, he was something else. Um, he was, he was pretty special. He was just one of those dogs. I mean, there's so many stories. Like, I mean, all all dog guys have have great stories, and, and they're uh, you never forget them, but you can never tell them all. I mean, through barbed wire fences, ripping the skull open. He was like a year and a half old. Actually, this was uh, when I was in college, or right out of college, um, hunting public ground. I mean, half a mile from a place that I own now. And we walked in like a mile and a half. And uh, it was right at daylight, dark, ripped a bunch of mallards, sent him. And uh, it was warm that day, so I didn't put a vest on him and uh, sent him. And he took off, 
I heard him yip. I'm like, what the hell is that? Well, whatever, no big deal. He brings one back, goes back out, gets another one, brings it back, gets another one, brings it back. And it was still pretty dark when he came back, and I, I got the light out. And I'm like, what? you know, looking at his feet, like, what is wrong? Why did he yip? And uh, ended up, he hit a beaver snag. I'm looking at his feet, and I come up to his shoulder, and he had a humongous hole in his shoulder, like he shot him with an arrow. And just bleeding like crazy. I'm like, oh my God. Carry this thing out of the woods Sunday morning. And uh, I mean, the vet doesn't even open for an hour. Can't get a hold of anybody. I mean, the time we, the time we're in now is 140 people, and the one closest to us, like 2,500. And I thought he was going to bleed out. And sitting, laying on my, on my lap on the tailgate, waiting for the vet to get there. And he was just kind of looking up. And he wasn't near as as he should have been and bleeding and tried to get the bleeding. So anyway, long story short, a couple hours went by, that shows up and he got like super lucky, hit a beaver snag underwater and I didn't have a vest on him because it was warm, which I won't make that mistake again. That's another, another deal, but it, it hit the shoulder blade and deflected and opened up like a seven or eight inch pocket between the ribs and the skin. And it was, I mean, it looks horrible. But he said if it had been a half inch back, it went through both lungs just like you shot him with an arrow. There's lots of stories like that. Wow. Wow. That's a, yeah. That's, that's a wow story. Um, yeah. But the, the worst, I mean, the stories you don't want to hear is like, man, when that dog was old, we did a, a video on it called rough i mean obviously i'm on my youtube channel and under armor and i filmed his, his last retrieve i mean for six months i would come home his his, uh, his hips were, were starting to go out and uh, i don't know if it was arthritis or, or what it was but he was having trouble standing up and you know the any any good any dog owner, I mean, they know the only problem is they just don't live long enough. And trying to figure out when the time is that, that you have to make that decision to, to put them down is, I mean, the hardest the hardest thing you ever have to do. And uh, he had a couple days where he wouldn't get up very good, and then he'd have a week where he'd be fine, so I'd be kind of encouraged. But for like six months, I'd come home you know, from the farms and, and just hope he wasn't awake. Just pray that, you know, please go in your sleep and and all that. And of course he was he was too tough for that. So the the day finally came where I was gonna have to put him down and um like the week prior we had a warm up in November and uh my dad was down here and my buddy Suge, um his goddaughter to my oldest daughter now and been hunting with him forever. Anyway, uh, we we're going on an afternoon hunt. I said I'm gonna take I'm gonna take old Russ and I'm gonna sit by the tree with him and you guys hunt. We had a couple clients with us. Like you guys hunt and we're just gonna sit there and watch. <laughs> Excuse me. And uh they put a bunch of mallards in there and they killed them and one fell whatever, 10, 15 yards right in front of us. 
and he was laying on my lap, just sitting there with his head head in my lap, and he picked his head up, and I could feel him kind of shaking like he was excited, and his front legs go up, no problem, and he just starts wiggling, wiggling, and wiggling, I'm like, oh, God, no. It's like it's hard to watch. It took, it seemed like it was eternity, but probably like 30 seconds, he got his back legs up off the ground and waited out there and, you know, walked back real slow with it. And that was his last retrieve. And it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. I had to put him down about a week after that. I, uh, I will, I will tell you, Tony, I watched that, um, in preparation for the podcast and, uh, yeah, that was, that was that was moving, very very moving. Um, my been, uh, some watery eyes going on at that. Yeah, one, watery eyes. Sure. No, no, we had the sprinkler system going. <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, I, still, I, I still I still get them when I watch it. That was pretty. It, that was pretty cool deal, man. It was a, a neat way to neat way to commemorate commemorate his life. I know that. Yeah. What an amazing send off, that's for sure. Yeah, it's. You know, like I said, you you a good dog never lasts long enough, but you never think you'll have another one. But yeah. you know, eventually, eventually the smiles replace the tears, and and you can you can think about all those good times. And man, there's more than more than you ever thought you had going through it. Yeah, yeah. Now you're uh, you're continuing on with his legacy, right? With Kai, that's his his son, correct? Yeah. Yeah, what's hard to believe is in that video that puppy was Kai, and uh, and he's actually going to be eleven now, February. Wow, that's amazing! Ask, is he yeah. is he uh, semi-retired then with your daughter's dog Dash coming out? He is. So my daughter, I mean, she loves dogs, loves hunting, all that. I've got two of them. They're nine and five daughters, and uh, they both love dogs. And uh, my oldest one, Vivian's like, Dad, I want to get a dog. And I'm like, all right, sweetie, that's great. She's like, no, I seriously, I want, I want to have a dog. And I'm like, well, I'm not afraid to you, but, you know, we, we're not going to feed just dogs around here. I said, we only have working dogs, sweetie. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, we, you know, we're going we, to, we have working dogs. We have fun dogs, really. Like, oh, okay, okay. And she's probably whatever, second grade time or something like that. And for six or eight months, she checks out books as a library on labs and training labs and all this and just puts in all this work. And at that point, you know, what do you do? <laughs> those those little girls, they they have a way of uh, melting your heart pretty quick, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. So we had a way to, that we were going to surprise her and, and Kai sired and litter. And she had had Das picked out for months on end before she ever knew she was getting a dog. And uh, we took her over to the kennels, Habitat Plus Kennels, where our, um, our dog training facility and said, hey, baby, Kai's got, you know, a litter of pups over there. And, you know, they're all spoken for. So, we can't we can't have any, but we're gonna go over there and see that she wanna see puppies, play with the puppies and all that. And she was playing with the puppies and doing all that. And then one of them ran up to her 
that had a collar on it said Das. And her eyes kind of like lit up and she had double takes. She's like, Mommy, somebody name a name that dog Das. That's my name. Right. That's that's your dog. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's, it's super cool. That's very, amazing. very cool. <laughs> that's cool. I didn't know a dash without a Kai. So that's that's yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah, and he's a, he's a yellow male, which I've always been uh I've always had black black male, but she wanted yellow, so we did it and uh I'm actually kinda kinda come around, kinda like little guy now. <laughs> so what percentage of the time are you running dash? Is it pretty much full time now? Yeah, it is. So I've got uh I don't. She has. She had dash. He's I think sixteen months, and then we had another litter with Kai, about a month and a half younger, um, and I kept a black male loco, um, who's about a month and a half younger than Dash. I was like, I want to make sure, you know, Kai's getting old. I gotta have make sure one of them's gonna be gonna be good. And I've always told myself I gotta have two dogs, you know. Keep the stress off of them, rotate them. But the problem with that is when you get a good one, and it's hard to go out to that kennel in the morning and, and leave a good one in there. You know what I mean? And the problem I have now, they're both damn good. Um, and and I can't I can't get rid of the yellow one or my daughter would be extremely upset. So anyway, right now I'm running the yellow one and uh I'm getting getting pretty fond of him. How many days a week are you usually running the dogs? Is it pretty much five days a week, six days a week, seven days a week? Yeah, it's seven days every day. Every day. That's that's crazy. You guys are in the split right now too, aren't you? Uh the middle zone is. So oh, the, the middle the zone. Grand, is. Yep, the grand is in the middle zone. It's in the split. Um the home lodge home lodge still open. We opened twenty eighth October. And we run 60 straight to 26th of December. And then the Grand ends up closing. Um, it's closed for five days right now. It opens a week after the Grand, or a week after the home lot. So in a nutshell, it closes January 7th. So I'll have 72 straight days that I can duck on here in Missouri. Wow. So now with you running your dog, seven days a week you know personally what what is what are some of the most important things that you do to ensure that your dogs are staying healthy you know and staying safe during all these hunts i mean that's a lot of hours in the blind oh it is it is for sure i mean i wear i I put a vest on them every day Um, after that deal was rough and the beaver snag when it was warm um, the vest to me is not about keeping a dog warm um, I mean, they're labs. That's what they're they're made for. I don't think that the cold water is any bother to them. Um, I use the vest more to protect the soft underbelly tissue than anything. That said, uh, you know, a bad sitting vest can be horrible on a dog when it gets cold. I mean, you have to have that thing tight. If if that water that water gets under there and they can't get rid of it, I mean they can get hypothermic pretty quick. I mean a loose fit a loose fitting vest is, is not good at all. It needs to sit like a glove. But other than that, 
to me, outdoor dogs, they develop a lot better winter coat than indoor dogs. Um, you know, you'll, I see dogs that come here all the time that, uh, guest dogs that they'll bring and, oh yeah, you know, Sam, he, he lives with us. He's a great dog. Um, we, we train quite a bit, but he stays in the house with us and all that. And if they roll over, you'll see this, their belly, there's very, very little fur, um, very little fur. Their hair is a lot thinner. Um, they're just not not made for it. Um, to me, the the dogs that stay outside, um, I don't I don't mind inside dogs. I think the bonding and all that's fantastic, but I don't think that they develop uh, the coat that an outside dog does. So I keep my dogs outside all the time in the kennel. But this time of year, when it starts to get cold, they're in the cold water you know, countless times a day. Um, I'll bring them inside at night into the garage and keep it at about 55 or 60 just to get their core body temperature back up. Um, I feed, feed them as much as they can eat. Yeah, that was going to be my next question is, you know, your feeding routines during the season. So obviously you're you're feeding them as many calories as they can handle, huh? Yeah, I feed them once a day in the off season, um, typically after training, um, whether that's late morning or late afternoon, whatever. Uh, but this time of year, I feed them, you know, and I only feed, you know, when you're feeding 30, 20, for the most part in the summer, three cups is plenty, three to four. This time of year, I'll get them five to five and a half at night if we'll eat it all. And then, Give them a cup in the morning, an hour or two before we go hunting. Uh, cup two when they get home. I mean, as much as I, much as I can possibly get get them to eat, I'll give them. Are you are you floating that food too when you're feeding them that much? At times, at times, you know, they're even dogs. I shouldn't say every dog because that'd be uh, that'd be a pretty blanket statement. But at least some of mine. Most, most of all the ones I've ever had, they're going to have periods in time and season where they just won't eat. Uh, Russ used to do it when we go on the road. Like, I used to run out to North Dakota for a couple weeks every year, and we get up there, and his first year up there, he wouldn't eat. I mean, nothing. Like, maybe you're going to have to eat, but it's, you're picking up a lot every day. And I let's put gravy on there, or get his food. You know, get his food wet, so let it really just be mush and soak up all that water. Um, but even here, you know, just at home, you know, dogs have, I mean, there's, I, I really don't think that they're probably that different from us. I mean, they have periods of the, they're out of, you know, two month stretch where they're not feeling well, they're feeling great, they're tired, they're not as tired. You know, they have times where they'll, he'll go out there and there'll be five cups of food in there and, you know, five minutes later it's gone. And there'll be times you go out there and ten minutes later and there's still four and a half cups left and don't know what it is. Maybe he's feeling stressed, maybe he's tired, maybe he's still cold or whatever. But there's, you know, you kind of have to coax him to eat at different times throughout the throughout the season. That's fascinating. It's um, obviously like, you know, I'm, <clears throat> my dogs are not working seven days a week. 
um, like during the summer, I'll train them maybe like five or six days a week, but that's not the same as the grind and the wear and tear of hunting them, you know, six or seven days a week. Um, I, I think, I think that's fascinating that you have dogs that don't eat, but they, you know, like you said, they get worn down and stressed, stress those things to dogs though, too. Cause them to be yeah. different. In cold water, I mean, cold water is yeah. hard on. Um, it's not a big deal. Uh, you know, if you shoot one and, you know, you get a hunt where you get a hunt where you kill, you kill eight limits, you kill 48 ducks and it takes you till one o'clock. That is, that's no problem at all. You know, one here, pick it up or pick up two or three, come back and they can shed that water, dry off, whatever. Uh, the hunts that the hunts that are hard on them is when when there's very little break, when they don't get to stay out of the water very long. Um, I mean, we had a we had a dog from Texas, and this was opening day. I mean, it was almost sixty degrees three four years ago. Um, guy had you know, can I bring a dog? Yes, yeah, sure. Is he good? As long as he's steady. Uh, we don't want anybody. To to get, you know, being, you have know, safety issues, a breaking dog. Oh, yeah, he's steady. Yeah. <laughs> Ended up, the dog was really, really good, um, which we don't see very often. Um, dog was really, really good. It was an opener. And like I said, it's like 55 degrees. I mean, the water, I mean, a long way from freezing, but it was a hell of a lot colder than it was in Texas. And opener and they're just killing them real quick dog going out and getting one bringing it back and then all of a sudden boom she know him send the dog again send the dog again send the dog again send the dog again and he did like i don't even remember 15 15 pretty quick retrieves and you know half hour 45 minutes and shut down and they're like oh that, that's kind of weird uh, whatever uh keep an eye on him he's fine and i mean 20 minutes later He's like not non-responsive, but very lethargic. And we're like, eh, something's up. And uh, they took him to a vet. Turned out to have hypothermia. And uh, I can't remember now. He died like two or three times on the table. And they had to shock this dog back. And he ended up living, thank God. Uh, but it was just a, a drastic change in what he had been training in and where he came from and and the actual conditions it's a it'd be a shock to shock to our system for sure and dogs are no different yeah it's uh the thing that i think about and conversations that that the three of us has had is like matt you know you're going out with maggie right on the mississippi river and scratching out three or four ducks right and you're Mm -hmm. like you bring her home and she sleeps for like 36 hours after that yeah yeah yep. right and i'm thinking about you know tony what you're seeing with your dogs right they might go pick up 30 ducks you know in cold water go home and then get up the next morning and do it again that's you know that's yeah yeah you know that's um you know we see it differently because we're just amateurs right and doing you know public land hunting and you know we're not we're, we're not shooting 30 ducks at, at a time and you know, thinking sure, about the contrast sure. and the re- and the, just the recovery though it's a it's a it's pretty amazing right um that they can just they can grind through a 72 day season 
every single day and just pick up ducks like that. But I think it speaks to the dogs though, too. Right? They're just, they're amazing Absolutely. animals. They are. They're, they're incredible athletes. I mean, they're extremely driven. Like there's not a time that I walk out my door in the morning and they're not already awake and looking at me. I mean, I don't, they have like a sixth sense, uh, an alarm clock in their head or whatever, but they, you're never going to wake one up. I mean, with the exception of Kai and I, who's almost 11, um, there's times when you can go out there and he's snoring so loud you can scratch his ears for 30 seconds he doesn't even know what's happening. But young dogs, you know, that are in their prime, I've never had one where I've gone out to their kennel and they've been sleeping when it's time to go hunting. They're always awake. They're always ready. They're always waiting for you. Um, they're, the, they're the ultimate partner. They're never going to stand yet. That's true. That is that is very, very true. When the when the season ends, how much do you give your dog some off time then? Rest and recovery? Um, yeah, they'll get a little bit. I mean we're kinda we're extremely fortunate here in Missouri because we have a sixteen day teal season in September and then you know our duck seasons end October to early January. But then we can shoot specs and hawkers through February 7th, February 6th, and then it goes straight into spring snows. So basically from, you know, 1st of September till middle of March, we hunt almost every day. And then once you throw in Saskatchewan, September, October, I mean, it's, yeah, it's pretty hectic for however many months that is, seven months, six months. Yeah, that's crazy after um after that seven month period then do, do they get do they get like a week off a of vacation you know, relax fatten up a little bit put some weight back on maybe yeah i mean keeping weight on is always the hardest part um we'll let them chill out chill out for a few days and then uh and then it's i mean right back to training i mean they I mean they're athletes they get they get bored without it you know what i mean Mm-hmm. They, they do, they do. All right, I want to. That's a good segue into into the talking about Habitat Flats kennels. But Matt, Jeff, any other questions on uh, just dog care during the season? I'm good, Matt. You got anything? I don't think so. No. Okay. Yeah, it's All a perfect segue to start start talking about the kennels. That's for sure. Yeah. So. Um, you know, I think I think you said Tony earlier that you know Ruff was, you know, the the inspiration for Habitat Flats Kennels. How long how long had that idea been in your head before you before you brought it to fruition? We had we had uh, we've been talking about it for a few years. I mean, it was uh, kind of a natural a natural progression for us because we love dogs. I mean, absolutely love dogs. We all had great dogs, great hunting dogs, and Aaron and Ira were were veterinarians. I mean, so they dealt with dogs every day, and uh, we finally pulled the trigger on it with twenty twenty three now. Let me baby see in the morning. Um, I think we we finished the kennels and. 
2021, maybe in March, opened it in March. So it's, it's only a couple years old. Um, but it's just kind of a, a natural thing for us. I mean, we have incredible training grounds with all of our deaf properties and all that. We've got great trainers and, and uh, people that love dogs and want to have, have great hunting dogs. And what type of training programs do you guys offer there at the kennel? Well, we do have a little, I mean, a little bit of everything. Uh, we've got, you know, from breeding dogs, selling puppies, um, self-started dogs, finished dogs. Um, the lion's share of it is guests that bring their, you know, clients that bring their dogs for us to train. And, you know, from that aspect, there's puppy programs, there's uh, finished dog programs, there's they do field trials, hunt tests, you name it. There's it, it, they do everything from a training standpoint. But we primarily focus on great gun dogs. So, I, so I will ask this question. The the I'll give you the backstory before I get to the question. That so there was a dog that I had previously co-owned that was down at Habitat Flats, Habitat Flats Kennels last winter for some off-season work. And that's how I got exposed to your training grounds. And when I saw it, because I like to run hunt tests, my jaw hit the floor. I was like, man, this is incredible. This is like the best thing I've ever seen. How did you How did you come up and, and just design the the grounds from all the water, the technical stuff to, to everything else. Like, was there, I, I would a, imagine there's a ton of time that went into that. Yeah. It's a, I mean, damn, it's a, it's a freaking beautiful farm. Obviously you've seen it. Um, it's 220 acres property. And we, we look to find something that would kind of fit the mold for a long time. Um, cause everything we, we currently own is, I mean, it's bottom ground, duck stuff. So that's wonderful. Except when it's, it slows and there's 15 feet of water over it. And then it doesn't really work to have dog tail there. <laughs> so we, we found this, this awesome hill farm in a great location. And, uh, we do, we do upland hunts and second hunts as well. Um, their their pen raise and release you know preserve permit all that um for guys while we're duck hunting so we found a farm that was 220 acres perfect for both it's just a beautiful facility had a 11 acre lake on at the time but with the with the ridges and the valleys and all that we could it was easy to go in there and stair step a ton of ponds, technical water, and all that, and uh, it really turned into something pretty cool. I mean, there's—I don't know—I've seen a lot of a lot of training grounds in the country, and there's there's certainly several better, but it's uh, it's an awful awful pretty pretty training ground for sure. It's uh, it's some of the best that I've seen pictures of. <clears throat> that's for sure. Um. I would, I, yeah, um, that's like a dream spot to train. The thing is, is that I get to spots like that. And I'm like, I don't even know what to set up because there's just so much. I just get overwhelmed. Man, yeah, I'm mad. I see you shaking your head. Yeah, yeah. It's neat. It's, it's really neat because we'll host, uh, well, we've had uh, 
two super retriever series events over there that we've hosted um several hunt tests and field trials over there and then we have we have a lot of uh hunt tests and field trial you know clubs that will will rent the grounds or whatever for the weekend and bring their you know bring their whole team of dogs out and just just train for the weekend or for a couple of days during the week or whatever and our trainers are on site and help help figure out how to set up the right tests and all that our head trainer Cody Reynolds and and Kavian Star. I mean, they're, they're really, really good trainers and very, very knowledgeable. Um, I've been around dogs my whole life, and and I still go over there and train with them just to make sure I know what I'm doing. And they, man, they do a great job. And it's cool because you know the the sudden aspect of it. Um, you know, this time of year, so guys shoot little ducks in the morning. Or whatever, and have lunch, and then they're like, "Yeah, let's go, let's go pheasant." So we'll go over there, and so they've got got really good pointers that they train, and then flushing dogs as well, which are labs. And we have tower sheets where we'll run we'll run our dogs, but we'll also run all the dogs in the kennel that are in training, and they'll get to pick up a ton of birds. I mean. <clears throat> I'm biased because I'm a hunter, but to me, training, I mean, well, it's obviously necessity. You can't do anything without it. But the best way to make a really great dog is to kill a bunch of stuff over them. And, uh, and that's where, where that stuff kind of works in well. They get to pick up tons of birds. We train, we train with, uh, with ducks and pheasants year round. I mean, they, the dogs that we have in training, get live birds weekly and that's that's crucial that is uh how many how many dogs uh can can the kennel support at one time they're in the um, we've got two different buildings there's 40 40 kennels in each and then we've got a separate breeding and welping facility there how many litters are you guys normally doing and you got a wait list for potential buyers i would assume um, we we do. Uh, we can normally normally get people relatively quick. Uh, it's been slow to start because uh, we just opened it in 2021, and rather than go out and buy a uh, a bunch of breed females, we opted to go a different route because we all had great dogs and bring the females up as pups. So they're really We've had several litters that we brought in with um, with outside females that, you know, my old dog Kai is tired and all that. But our our personal habitat slash kennel brood females are just getting of age now. And uh, we'll start having several litters this, this year. And that, that's kind of neat because, you know, raised on site, out of our dogs, good pedigrees, good lines. And they hunt a ton. That's awesome. I can't wait. I can't wait to see that start to start to really grow up then too. <clears throat> and watch uh watch where that that piece of the business goes. Um yeah, and see I mean, what those dogs do too. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've got got some we have guys that, that hunt and and you know they don't they don't have dogs and, and we try to run as many of our 
is many of our, uh, I shouldn't say, well, kennel dogs, but, you know, our, our dogs that we own all seasons, we can't. I mean, they all get expensive hunting time. And, you know, that's, that's what makes good hunting dogs is hunting them a lot. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ah, uh, Jeff, Matt, what I did like I miss? The, I like the field trial, the field trial stuff and the hunt tests and all that. I certainly wish I had more time to do it myself. I don't. Um, I'm busy with kids and whatnot. But, you know, the way I see it, my old dog Russ and Kai and, and those, I mean, they they kind of run a, they kind of run a hunt test about 120 days a year. So. Yep. Real world hunt test right there. <laughs> so yeah. Tyler, I know you could, you could probably yes. talk uh, training all day long and kennels all day long, but I know we're uh, probably a little short on time. We don't want to keep you too long here, Tony, but one of the other things we wanted to talk about. Um, so Tyler and you share a very common thing in the fact that you're both girl dads. Right. Tyler's got a couple daughters. Yeah. You have a couple daughters. Yeah. I saw one of your daughters just recently shot her first buck too. Right. Oh yeah. Man, it's, it was awesome. Yeah. That's <laughs> a monster. That, that was a phenomenal buck. Congrats to her for sure. <laughs> um, so are both of your girls showing a lot of interest in hunting and spending time with you out in the field? Yeah, they are. Uh, my, my oldest one's nine, my youngest one's five. And, uh, obviously the nine-year-old goes, goes quite a bit more than five-year-old right now but five-year-old she wants to go every every chance she can get and uh she enjoys it too it's uh it's a different deal hunting with kids i mean it's not not about you you want to keep it fun bring snacks make it be successful not necessarily in harvest but in fun, I mean, throw decoys, go climb trees, go catch frogs, whatever it is, whatever keeps them excited to go is what you need to do. And uh, it's really, really coming down a full circle with my nine-year-old and getting super fun. And she was eight last spring, and uh, I took her, took her around, and she she started. Just, I love turkey hunting. I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to do it. And as a dad, you're like, yeah, let's go. Let's go. And we traveled and knocked on doors and scouted and all this and shit. Anyway, she ended up, she got her single season grand slam as an eight-year-old and the second youngest female in history to do it. But those times are, are priceless as a dad. And, you know, I don't know how long, how long will last. But I think I think that there's a, a hell of a framework there. If they don't last, it's going to be something that they're eventually going to come back to, and uh, and it's it's cool. It's unbelievable. Yeah, that, that's that's amazing about that Grand Slam. Now, did did she have a? I'm a I'm a turkey hunter myself. Did she have a, a favorite turkey out of the four in the Grand Slam? She she loved the Osceola. Um, and that was we went with an outfitter there. She got she got invited to go down. Uh, great great family here in Missouri invited her to go down there. And I'd personally never been down there. I love turkey hunting, but I've never made it down there because I'm always busy snuggling something. And uh, great family from Columbia has a place they go down there and said, "Hey, we want Vivian to come with and and shoot 
shooting osteo. I'm like, holy crap, you know, she never even killed turkey. Uh, <laughs> I can't, I can't pass this. So we go and head down there and have, have an absolutely incredible time. Great people. Um, she shot her osteola about two seconds before I did. We doubled, and uh, but you know she killed an octillo turkey before I ever did, which is awesome. And she was just hooked. Like we get home, I'm like man, that's that's fun. I said, Dad, look, we got to do that again. I'm like, uh, and the coolest thing ever. And I didn't know this until she was that tired up. But if you look at it, the use season across the country. I mean, you can go do it for little or nothing. I mean, Florida, uh, I don't think that there was any charge for you. Uh, Kansas was like 30 bucks. Nebraska was, I don't know, 20 bucks maybe. Missouri, seven. And to me, I've, I've killed enough of them. I get more enjoyment watching her do it. So you can go, what I'm trying to say is you can go do it um, a lot more economically than going and do it on your own as an adult if that makes any sense i mean i'd rather take her somewhere and watch her kill a turkey than than pull the trigger myself and you can do it on pretty tight budgets but anyway we uh we went out to southwest kansas and uh she killed the rio she killed her, her eastern here at home and then uh went up to northwest nebraska where i hunt and on door i mean Do we lose you, Tony? Yeah, yeah there. Sorry about that. Hey, you're back. That's all right. <laughs> oh, you're all good. We can edit, not, we can edit that part out. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure where I lost you. All of a sudden, nothing was there. <laughs> Jeff was getting really excited because you were talking. <laughs> you were you were delving into turkeys. So, Jeff's oh man, there. I I love I love chasing turkeys in the spring. That's for sure. That's. Aside from chasing waterfowl and pheasants, I mean, turkey's right up there with those, that's for sure. Yeah, I agree. It's a good thing they don't gobble that good in the fall. <laughs> yeah, you ain't kidding. <laughs> I mean, it's what an adrenaline rush those birds are. It's 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 something for sure. I love it. It is. It's even it's even more fun watching watching somebody else do it, like your your kids or like I grew up in Illinois and when I was there, we didn't have any turkeys. None. When I grew sure. up, I didn't didn't have turkey, so I went to college here in Missouri in 95. And we had great numbers back then. They're, they're not near as good now, but, I mean, I had my dad, my uncles, all my buddies from back home. I got to watch shoot the first turkeys. It was it's, – it's super cool to watch somebody, watch somebody else shoot one. It's amazing how that changes, right? I mean, especially after you've you've shot a good handful of them yourself, it's just it's just as much fun, like you said, watching somebody else, whether it's your kid, even a buddy of yours, or your dad, or anybody. You know, it's I'd rather do that too. You know, I we had I took a buddy of mine out um, to our our family farm in the middle of the state, and I hadn't shot a bird yet, and I was like, you know what, man, you're pulling the trigger first because I get just as excited watching him do it as it as it is for me. You know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, it's like duck hunting. I mean, you only get to shoot six ducks in a day. So you can go by yourself and shoot six and your day's over. And, you know, turkey season, 
here we get two tags. You can go by yourself and once your two tags over, it's done. Or you can go with somebody and turkey hunt every day. I mean, who cares if he pulls the trigger as long as you're in the game? Right, for sure. Just watching them come in. I mean, that's watching them gobble and strut and spit and all that good stuff right in front of you at 10 yards. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. No, it doesn't. And the, and the chessboard resets every night. You can have the worst day turkey hunting ever, but the next morning it's going to be a blank slate. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> so, so, go ahead, Tyler. I was going to say, so, so Tony, when, when that, when that turkey is drumming and spitting and coming in, is your daughter able to keep, keep her, keep herself calm, cool and collected? Hey, I wish, I wish I could keep like that. <laughs> she's unbelievable. <laughs> I, I guess she's, she's probably young enough that she doesn't, I shouldn't say she doesn't know any better because like the, the one in Florida, no problem. Missouri, no problem. Kansas was getting there and the last one she sat in Nebraska sitting between my legs uh with that thing 10 12 yards away and 15 hands and I mean it was it was pandemonium but man her gun barrel was going in circles and I'm like concentrate and we eventually cut the circles down in half cut them down half she's like I'm on him all right let him have it but now she she uh she hasn't missed yet which I tried, I tried to tell her. She's like, Dad, how do you miss a turkey? I'm like, well, you just wait. You haven't hunted. Yeah, if you've never missed a turkey, you haven't hunted them long enough. You talk about a humbling experience. Missing a turkey is definitely one of those. <laughs> Man, I've, I've missed a pile of them. <laughs> when you see those things flip around or you roll them and they're just running off into the distance, oh, it's a terrible feeling. <laughs> yeah, I've missed a pile of them. And her big buck, I mean, God dang, two weeks ago, whenever it was, yeah, probably two weeks ago, an hour, two and a half. It was, I mean, it's just unreal. I mean, it's got to be, it's got to be perfect with a kid. You know what I mean? I mean, it's got to be perfect. So you're, you're in a blind, but that doesn't mean you're invincible. I mean, you got the wind, he's got, you get silhouetted, all this. Deer comes from the wrong direction, downwind, trying to play musical chairs, move the gun around, move the chairs around, keep quiet. The does staring holes in us and and then they disappear and uh i mean i'm i'm personally i'm like they're done there's three counties away by now downwind they're way gone and we wait probably five minutes and i'm kind of down the dumps like dang it of all places that thing to come I had to come from that direction it wasn't supposed to and there's a little eight point comes out on past there i'm like oh yeah okay here great then this can be your your first buck nice little eight point just a little basket rack eight perfect starting deer it's like no i'm waiting for a big one i'm like what it's like no i'm waiting on a big one dad i'm like baby the, the big one's like four counties away right now it's like no i'm waiting and i'm kind of shaking my head like oh my god you gotta be kidding me and then she's like well that the doe's standing right here in front of us i'm like what? And I look up, and sure enough, she's 40 yards away, just staring holes in this blind. And then all I see is horns coming out of the ditch behind her. I'm like, oh boy. She's like, I'm on him. I'm like, concentrate. <laughs> like, no, I'm on him, Dad. And then I went to put the safety off, and she got her headphones on. So when I give her a thumbs up, she's alive. That means she's alive and can shoot. And uh, I put the safety off, and he starts walking. So I put the safety back on. And he stops like that. I'm on him. I'm like, 
you got to be sure about this. Like, Dad, I'm on him. My like, oh, boy. I'm like, you sure? Dad. <laughs> I flip safety off. I go to give her a thumbs up, and boom. <laughs> she was she was ready. <laughs> It was cool. Oh man, she you guys yeah. both you had to be so pumped up for that. How proud were you? It is unreal. It's like I mean, it's way way bigger than you have ever killed. Unbelievable. Did, didn't say it much. She's probably not going to let you forget that either, will she? No, oh no. <laughs> and she shouldn't. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So, but it was way way better than anything I could have killed. She was just uh one of those one of those deals that I mean as a parent, I mean that's I mean that's the highlight. I mean that this is one of those parenting moments that you're never ever gonna forget. Yeah, absolutely. Now I, I know Tyler mentioned that you know the we have five kids under five right now. So we're we're in the thick of it, right? So our our kids are just a little bit young yet, obviously, to go out and actually pull the trigger, yep. but you know, what kind of tips? I know you mentioned snacks snacks are important but what kind of tips do you got for you know somebody some dads like us that uh you know have young kids that they're they they're hoping will get interested in sharing the same passions as us i would say the biggest thing is when you take a kid especially young when they're not shooting the hunt it's it's not it's not your hunt like don't get frustrated. Don't get anything. The only reason that that you're going, or go with buddies, and uh, but just remember that it has to stay fun, and they're not going to want to do it again. So, if it's a half hour into it, I mean, two two years ago, I think it was, I took dead hunting. We got turkeys gobbling all over, almost sealed the deal, and then they started walking away, still gobbling. You know, we got a chance. We can go cut them off. I'm like, you want to go make a move? You want to get pancakes? Man, this has been incredible. Let's go get pancakes. All right, let's go. We're going to get pancakes. But don't make it about you. It's not about – It's the, uh, the success is not measured by harvest. And then after that, the biggest thing I can tell you is when I was a kid, you guys are probably the same way. Um you know, we had heavy guns, um, and here you go. Let's let's figure out how to do this. I mean, I missed missed for a year before I ever hit anything. Um, get a like she. My daughter's very very small framed. Uh, she can't really swing a gun yet to, with any success. So I put it in a tripod just to just to give her that taste of success. I mean, let her, let them make some kills, whether it's a, a turkey standing there out of a blind, a duck swimming on the water, whatever. They have to taste success at a young age to, to really light that fire, I think. I mean, they, I shouldn't say they have to because I didn't and I still had the fire, but it sure helps the process. Don't have like a, an ego, like, I shouldn't know uh, that's a terrible thing to say, but don't be too proud to say either you're shooting it flying or you're shooting it offhand or this or that, just so that you know you can find your chest to your buddy. They throw that thing in a tripod, let them smoke one on the water, let them taste that success, and that's gonna that's gonna make that fire burn. 
Yeah, that's, that's great advice. I, you know, getting the young kids, especially girls, you know, it's so important to keep this, this thing going for us and keep this passion alive. You know, we, we need a lot more women in the space. We need young kids in the space, you know, so I'm really excited to hear that you're, what you're doing and, and following along with that. That's, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. And girls, I mean, man, girls are no different than boys and take them along. I mean, I think they oftentimes get overlooked a lot, but Man, they're, they're, they're no different. They'll get out there and do it. Like yep, the other thing, absolutely. you know, with that, like her deer rifle, she's killed, a, she's killed a doe. She killed a doe last year and a buck this year. And that's the only two times she's ever shot a deer rifle. The only two times. But she'll sit in the backyard in this tripod and I've got a little 17 with scope and we shoot non-stop i mean targets like and look at you know look at them with binoculars hey you're you're an inch here you're an inch there whatever but the 17 there's there's very little very little loud noise there's no recoil there's no anything so you're not developing bad habits so then when we go deer hunting i put the deer rifle in there which he's shooting a six five three more with a a muzzle break on it from Rob Roberts, which is not a, a huge recoil, uh, but it's, I mean, it's certainly different than 17, but she has no bad habits. She doesn't know to expect a, a kick. She doesn't have a flinch. She doesn't know that it's going to be loud. She's got her headphones on. So she shot that gun twice and killed two deer. And each time it's like, did you kill anything? No, don't tell him. I get it. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> So it's all about it's all about setting them up for success. Yeah, that's that's great advice for sure. Now, Tyler, when you shot your uh, your buck a few weeks ago, you introduced your daughters, right? They came out to the field with you and check things out. They did, they did. I shot a doe last year with my bow, and they got to do that too. Um, it's just a slow process, right? And it's like. Um, I think for me, it's like, I don't want to force it. Like when they're bored with it, with the dead deer, it's like, we're just done. Right. And they, they were very interested and it was really cool and they wanted to touch it. And then five minutes later, they're like, yeah, I want to go back inside and eat pretzels. Okay. Right. And just, <laughs> that's it's great. Um, you know, and that's like, a great point. I mean, they just don't force it. I mean, that's a great point. It's, it's, um, like I'm bringing home more dead things this year. Um, uh, like I brought home a couple of pheasants uh, that actually I need to go clean after we have wrap up here. Cause I haven't done that yet. Um, and um, you know, like they, they, my oldest is now four. She just turned four before she just liked to like pet them. Right. And today she's like, I want to hold them. I want to pick them up. And so she picks the first one up in one hand by the feet. And then she's like, I want to hold them both. And she's picking them both up and holding them both up. And it's like, okay, like we're just, like slowly stair stepping this thing along. Um, yeah. You know, to, to continue to build interest. I'm just, I'm trying not to force. I really, really hope that they have interest in hunting. They love dogs. So there, there's that. But, um, you know, if they don't, it is what it is. But I'm hoping that I'm, I don't overdo it at any point in time. That's my whole, man, that's the, my philosophy right the, now. The dog thing, that's, that's key right there. I mean, I got, I got her, her dog just because, she couldn't swing a gun, but she loved to go and she loved the dog. Like, how cool is it to watch your kid 
your your daughter run their own dog. I mean, anybody can do that. I mean, you don't have to be able to knock a bird out of the air at 40 yards or whatever. I mean, but to sit there and watch them run a dog, they're intricately involved in the hunt, but they're not pulling the trigger yet. I mean, that's a, a really cool deal. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's uh, that's good. That's that'll probably be the that'll probably be the first thing actually. And like you said, I mean the the, the not fortunate thing. I think this is another thing. Now that I've gotten older, I think back to when I was their age, and uh, I think that uh, I was eight feet tall and bulletproof. I mean, I think memory or you know time fades the memory. We were all badasses when we were six, seven years old. Same thing with dogs. I mean, my old dog, when he was 12 months old, he was running 400-yard blind, picking up 50,000 ducks a year. And it's just like you, you have these these images and, and memories in your head that, I mean, they may be a little bit jaded with time. Like now, my dogs are measured to my first dog. And I think they're slower maturing. I'm like, man, it's a little bit slower maturing. Six, 16 months, Russell's a lot better than this, but it's not. It's just that they they tend to wear the Superman cape the longer they're gone. You know what I mean? I do. I do. And that's a good point because I have a dog who's now seven who is pretty much my dream dog. And then the one is one, and she's, I think she's slow to mature. I feel like she's really yeah. slow to mature. Um, but, you know, that's a, it's, it, and everything is compared to him, and that's not fair to her. You know, I haven't yeah. done, I haven't done a good enough job because everything is compared to him. Um, and her experience is different too, right? He was the, he was the lone dog in the house, and she has him, and just, it's, it's just different. Um, you know, but every, every dog I have will get compared to this dog. Yeah, and and they're all going to be a little bit different, but they're all going to be, I mean, not everyone, but they're going to, they say you get a great dog once in your lifetime, and that's BS. They might, but they're going to, you're going to have a great dog. You're going to have more than once. That is good to know. <laughs> Makes me feel better. <laughs> yeah, for sure, you're going to have more than one. I'm on my third, and, uh, Third, third good one. I've had two that two that didn't pan out. Um, they loved they loved it and were fantastic on dry ground, but just didn't like the cold water like they need to to do this. They probably would have been been decent going a time or two a week, but seven days a week they couldn't do it. Um, so I've been been through five, but three of them are three of them are nails. That's good. That's great. All right. We've been, we've been chatting for almost, almost an hour and a half now. Um, I'm going to flip things over. So Tony, the way that we sort of wrap these things up is what we call, what we call uh, sky blasting questions, which are sort of off the cuff. They might be hunting related. They might not be. They probably, most of them probably won't be today. Um, and we'll shout out a question. First thing that comes to your mind, you just, you just, um, you let it out and just shout it out and um we'll set we'll end with a little bit of fun here sounds good all right all right gentlemen who's up first 
Matt, you go first. Sure. I've only got two. What's your favorite place to duck hunt uh, outside of Habitat Flats or Canada? If I could do one more hunt in my lifetime, it'd be my grandfather's old club at Princeton Game and Fish in Illinois on the Illinois River with him. He passed away in 99, so that, that'd be it. But that said, I've hunted put it all over and many people do the same thing and uh there's no place like homes you just sure. you know which which ducks you need to call at which ducks you don't bother calling at uh but i would love to go back and have that place with him especially but even without it a lot of memories sure do you have any bucket list hunts left whether it be duck or other Surprisingly, um, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I, I just love hunting mallards. Um, that's my thing. But a bucket list thing that I want to do before I die is, is elk hunt when they're bugling in the mountains with the leaves changing. I've never done it, but as much as I love turkey hunting from everybody that that elk hunt says it's like a 1200 pound turkey that's ready to tear you apart i'd like to see that that's a good answer awesome all right i'll go i'll go next all right all right tony so i, I know you played a little ball in your days right Ooh, yeah, a little, little baseball a back in the day <laughs> yeah so were, were you a uh were you a sunflower seeds guy or a bubble gum guy <sighs> A little bit of both, probably a <laughs> lot of both. The good thing right. about the bubble gum is you could wrap up a little red man in it, and, yeah, and not, and not know any different. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I knew a lot of guys when that did that. <laughs> yeah, when you weren't supposed to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, what kind of truck do you drive? I've got man. I've had everything: Chevy, Ford, GMC. Now. Um, yeah, been happy. I, I've, I've been had pretty good luck with trucks. All right, all right. So a little bit of everything. Yeah, haven't had haven't had a a lemon yet. All right, well that's good. Uh, my last on wood here. I yeah, love exactly. Diesel. <laughs> Diesels. Yep. Nice. Uh, my last one here is: uh, How do you take your coffee? Black, black as you can get it. Good man. <laughs> I think me and Tyler yeah. both agree on that, but yep. we we also yeah. agree you got to have good coffee if you're going to drink it black. Yeah, there's no no doubt. My problem is I can't, I don't make it much past eight or eight thirty at night, and I get in bed and read. But even in the off season, I wake up between two and four every day. Every day of the off season, house is quiet. I can get stuff done, and I love coffee. Drink it all day. Good man. When you're getting up that early, you gotta have good coffee. That's just you cannot turn the day. Like, I wake up at just naturally at two thirty, and that's the best I feel all day. <laughs> that's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> all right, that's all I got, Tyler. Okay. You go. All right, I've just got a, I got a couple of rounds left here in the chamber. Um, all right, uh, Tony, what is your favorite food? Favorite food is pizza. Okay. Yes. Yes. Pepperoni yes. or sausage? 
Man, you loaded up. <laughs> <laughs> All of the above. Good answer. And anything. It could be plain cheese. I just love pizza. <laughs> All right. Uh, iced tea or sweet tea? Mm, man. I'm going to go with neither. Yes, yeah, so right. I'm not a tea drinker. I don't drink much. I drink uh, drink water and maybe a Gatorade working on the farms and, and coffee. That's about it. All right. My, I'll say so. Iced tea, uh, I think, tastes like cold awfulness. Um, sweet tea, I'm, I live in Wisconsin. I have my whole life. I've taken a couple trips down to Tennessee, which is just getting into like sweet tea territory. And I, I drink like a gallon of it a day every day that I'm down there. I'm just in love with it. If I, if I lived <laughs> in the South, I would not have any teeth. Yeah, part of it is I'm 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 kind of scared to try it. Uh, I just got brainwashed back when I played baseball about how bad soda and everything was for you. Yeah. Um, as you're trying to recuperate and all this stuff. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't drink soda. Uh, I don't drink any of it. I mean, a good bourbon is pretty darn good, but outside of outside there of that, coffee, there we go. Yeah. Coffee now and water. <laughs> that's about that's about that's about it. That's about it. I'll drink too. So, um, okay, uh, last one here. What has been the most memorable hunt you've had so far this year that you've been on so far this year? Hmm. So far this year, man, there's been some good ones between here and Canada. And, oh, no, no, easy. Uh, youth season opener here in Missouri. Um, myself and uh, one of our guides who runs the Grand, Arliss Reed, his, he had his, his stepson with and I had my daughter Viv with, and we started right behind the lodge here. And uh, it was one of those things that, you i mean they've been in there for a while but even then we got down there and got set up and i'm telling you it's shooting time it was unreal i mean there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds coming and just the the audio and the sun coming up it was freaking insane and uh they're chomping at the bit wanting to i mean duck landing the decoys flying around we're like no just soak this up like this is something you don't understand now but not many people get to see even adults it was it was freaking awesome man i had my song going recording it and it was just the audio was insanity just hundreds of teal and wood ducks and pintails and all this definitely best best by far it was it was super cool and to have have the kids enjoying it and getting to see that for the first time like that was uh yeah, I, I probably won't see it again this year. That's awesome. That's a good one too. I can't. <clears throat> when when you've seen as as much as you've seen in the field, Tony, and you're telling, you're describing that, and you're like telling people, "Don't shoot, just soak this in." That I mean, to me, that sounds special. Yeah, it's one. It's just one of those deals. I mean, the, it was dead calm. We were we were facing east, so you got that that glow. To the east, and I mean, there's they're coming from behind us over our head, like five, six feet, just filling it up. And it was one of those things where it was so cool. I mean, 
kids are going crazy and, and I'm just like, hey, stop. Whatever your brain's processing right now, save that in your memory bank. Whatever you're smelling, remember that. Like this doesn't happen every day. And uh, it's going to be many, many days before you get to see it again. So do not forget this. This is exactly why we come out here and do this. Perfect. I think that's the <clears throat> that's the uh, great story to, to sort of wrap this thing up on. Um, Tony, we really sincerely appreciate you coming on here. Before we go, though, people want to, they're not following you. Where can they find you? Where can they follow you? Whether that's YouTube, social media. Uh, you know, the World Wide Web. How can how can they get a hold of you? Get in touch with Habitat Flats Kennels if they want puppies or training. Just give us give us the spiel here. Sure. So uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook, YouTube, just Tony Vandemore um, at Tony Vandemore at Habitat Flats. Our website is habitatflats.com. That's got information on kennels all of our hunts um feel free to call me i answer the phone email i do everything it's uh my number six six zero nine seven three three eight zero five we take people of any skill level i mean you name it we got great hunters come through here we got first timers we've got kids we've got a little bit of everything but we're always going to have a good time um everything's wild so can't control the weather, can't control mother nature and wild birds, but you can control the experience. And that's what it's all about. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I, uh, I would uh, love to get down there someday. So hopefully we can make that happen. Um, Tony, sincerely, thank you. Thank you again for jumping on. I know I really enjoyed the conversation um, hearing, hearing about some stuff that I haven't heard before or heard you talk about before. Um, and uh, yeah, Looking forward to um, seeing what else comes out online, whatever what you guys put out this year for content and following along. And, um, yeah, good luck the rest of the season. Yeah, I appreciate it. I enjoyed talking with you guys. Love talking this stuff. We'll do it again sometime. Sounds like a plan. Yeah, thanks, Tony. That was great, man. Really enjoyed it. Have a happy Thanksgiving next week. Yeah, you as well. You, you as well. Take care, Tony. Thanks, guys.